Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. Today, we have Carlos Tanner, the founder of the Ayahuasca Foundation. Carlos was born and raised in the United States and has degrees in both art and philosophy. He moved to Iquitos, Peru in 2004 and lives with his first teacher for four years before creating the Ayahuasca Foundation in 2008. He led every retreat and course at the original retreat center until 2002 when he hired the first two assistant healers and opened the Inconcana Plant Medicine School. In 2017, he opened the Riospo Retreat and Research Center and began hosting medical research. The Ayahuasca Foundation was born from a desire to spread the science of plant medicine back into the world. The foundation supports the preservation of indigenous wisdom and culture, offering healing retreats and educational courses, and conducting research focused on the ayahuasca healing tradition used for millennia by indigenous healers of Peruvian Amazon. The Ayahuasca Foundation also supports the preservation of the Amazon rainforest and promotes educational efforts to raise awareness about sustainability and harmonious environmental relationships and participates in community outreach programs and cultural re-education programs. Welcome, Carlos. Thanks so much for having me on this show. It's great to be here. Welcome, Carlos. Uh, we like to start off by getting to know more about you. Um, how did you first become involved with plant medicine? And maybe for those listening that might not be familiar with ayahuasca, can you begin by telling us what it is um, and how it became part of your healing journey and life work? Sure. Um, well, the first part of that question would be that I I don't really know exactly why, but I was always interested in plant medicine. Even as a young child, I was just uh, fascinated by it. And, you know, learning that dandelions, for example, are this wonderful medicine and they're all over the yard. And, um, you know, I was always kind of curious about that. And I started learning about it or reading about it uh, in high school. And I also started smoking marijuana in high school, which I definitely would attribute like my interest to learning more about maybe the psychotropic elements of plant medicine. Um, and, and, and that was probably what led me to read books on shamanism, specifically Michael Harner's Way of the Shaman, but also Carlos Castaneda's books in high school. But Michael Harner wrote about ayahuasca in the first chapter of uh, Way of the Shaman. And so that would be my introduction to ayahuasca. And what ayahuasca is, is a medicine made from two plants, uh, the ayahuasca vine, or the vine Banisteriopsis capi, that's called ayahuasca. And the typical admixture plant is called chacruna, which would be scientifically known as Psychotria viridis. The combination of those two plants boiled together, make a medicine that's also called ayahuasca. And it's a medicine that's been known to be used for countless generations, but um, many people suspect that it's been used for at least 2,000 years in the Amazon rainforest. Some people would go so far as to say up to 10,000 years. Um, it's a very unusual combination of chemicals from a chemical perspective. The ayahuasca vine contains what are known as monoamine oxidase inhibitors, which prevent the production of an enzyme called monoamine oxidase in our gut. From It prevents that enzyme from being produced. 
why it's called an inhibitor. And then the chakruna leaves contain dimethyltryptamine, also referred to as DMT. And that is a substance that we produce and that all living beings produce. It's in our blood, but um, Dr. Rick Strassman wrote in DMT, the spirit molecule, how it's produced by our pineal gland at the moment of our death. And that coincides with the ayahuasca experience being referred to as a little death. So one could say that the ayahuasca brew, the combination of the MAO inhibitor because monoamine oxidase would break down dimethyltryptamine in your stomach and it wouldn't get to your brain. So with the MAO inhibitor, the dimethyltryptamine does stay intact and go to your brain where it then simulates a death experience to your consciousness, which frees your spirit from the body and allows you to have an out of body or at the very least a spiritual experience. Uh, and so uh, a very well-developed tradition of healing was developed around the use of this medicine, as well as a practice of ritual ideology and methodology that surround the use of the medicine specifically in ceremony. Uh, and that has continued to develop uh, up till right now. And, um, and that's what the medicine that forms the, the core of the plant medicine treatments we provide at the Ayahuasca Foundation is all about. And how did you come to this? Uh, right. So, like I said, I read uh, Michael Harner's book that introduced me to the word ayahuasca and the concept of it. Um, and I became interested in shamanism. I went to college as a philosophy major and an art major. And in a class called Philosophy of Religion, I got introduced more deeply into shamanism as a as a religious form like a, a global religion and and that just resonated with me tremendously i also started experimenting not just with marijuana from high school but with psychedelics and uh, like lsd and mushrooms and and so those kind of went hand in hand where i would have a, a psychedelic experience and then be more interested to learn about the shamanic practices or the cultures that also used similar psychedelic substances in their uh, religious beliefs or their religious practices. And so that led me to do basically like my own personal research where I just started investigating uh, all plant medicines, but ayahuasca was definitely at the top of my list of things that I was interested in learning more about. Um, William S. Burroughs had written a book about it called The Yahe Letters, uh, which also kind of tied into this like beat culture that I was getting interested in as well, like reading Carlos Castaneda. And, um, and so, you know, it was just like a, a cumulative effect of my own explorations with psychedelics and my own interest about ayahuasca. And coincidentally, I ended up working in an office for the University of Massachusetts um, where the receptionist was Peruvian. And she invited me to go with her to Peru, which I did in 2000. And, um, and during that trip, got to meet people who had drank ayahuasca, you know, it kind of became more real. I didn't go to the Amazon on that trip, though, but I did write in my journal that I would come back to Peru and go to the Amazon and drink ayahuasca with a real shaman. And that manifested in 2003, after I kind of spiraled into a drug addiction. And 
found myself in a, in a place of desperation where I worried that I might not survive if I didn't do something drastic and a synchronistic email uh, from a friend who happened to be in Iquitos, Peru, um, led me back down to Peru to the to the rainforest to drink ayahuasca and to have a what would become a life-saving experience and not just to save my life from my health conditions but to create a new path forward which was to live and study with the corandero that I had those experiences with as his apprentice for four years. And so you stay after you tried the ayahuasca the first time did you end up staying or did you end up coming back? to meet your teacher? No, I, well, I met him on that trip in May, 2003, and I definitely had a tremendous transformation take place in that three weeks um, where I was healed of my addiction, but really I was healed of the causes of my addiction, which was childhood trauma, which I didn't really remember until I started uh, working with the ayahuasca and saw like those memories. I, I say saw because I had visions of the scenes playing out uh, as if I was a spectator watching my own life mm-hmm. and um, and then come to understand how those traumas had affected me and how they had created such detrimental uh, identifying truths that were inaccurate but caused in the process of trauma or what that is to be trauma and was able to transform those into positive truths that were more accurate or were truly accurate and alleviate the need to want to do drugs or to uh, hurt myself in any way. Uh, During that time, the Corandero told me it was my path to be a healer, and he invited me to be his apprentice and live with him. And I got very powerful confirmation that that was, in fact, the case. And so I accepted his offer but I did go home, you know, I did have a life. So I did go home and like tie up all the loose ends. I moved out of my house and sold my car and got all got rid of my possessions, um, broke up with uh, my partner, like did basically like tried my best to tie everything up. And then in January of 2004, I moved to Iquitos permanently to live with my teacher. That is phenomenal. And I just want to dive in a bit more about what it really means to be a healer. And if you could give us some insight into the role of the Cudanero and what was that training like with your teacher? Right. Um, You know, to me, there's obvious technique involved, um, but I I consider healing an art form. And, um, And so, you know, what does it take to be an artist? Well, there are certain qualities, but it, I, I don't look so much at the training as I do at your heart, you know, your, your true motivations and your desire for expression. Um, you're caring in this case for to be a healer. You just have to care. And that's not really something that you can actually learn. So while you can learn the techniques and the methods and the understanding, it really is something that, you know, there's a phrase like you're you're born that way, or it's a gift or a calling, you know, those to me are really just recognizing how you came to be the way you are. Mm-hmm. And some people certainly have an affinity. We all know healers in our circles. You know, they might not identify as healers, but we know them as healers because they're the person that we turn to 
when we need to be cared for. Mm. And, and that to me is really the simplest way to understand what it means to be a healer. Of course, once you do take it upon yourself to be a healer or to follow that path, it is a never ending path. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as a graduation for being a healer. You just continue to walk that path and you learn and learn and learn forever. Um, but there are techniques and there are methods and there are things that you observe from your own experiences that work or don't work. And you, you figure things out a lot from that. In this tradition, you would have a teacher the way that I did. But the way that I learned was very traditional in the sense that, um, well, I, I made it non-traditional, but the way it was taught was traditional in the sense that there was no lectures. You know, it wasn't like a classroom. There was no... Uh, training the way you might get if you were to be, say, a modern medicine doctor or medical doctor um, in the U.S. I shadowed him. I went with him. Uh, his name was Don Juan Tangoa Paima. I lived in his house. Every morning I got up and had breakfast with him, you know. But if he went to get plants to make a medicine, I went to get plants to make a medicine. If he was making the medicine, I was making the medicine. In ceremony, I sat right next to him and I assisted him. So as I learned more, I was able to take some of his responsibilities. You know, he could ask me to do something and I had watched him do it enough that I could do it too. You know, and that was like the true like apprenticeship. We, we kind of all came from a culture of apprenticeships, whether you were like a blacksmith's apprentice or, you know, whatever. We all kind of came from that culture. But technology change that in many ways. Um, in the indigenous culture of the Amazon, there's no written language. So you couldn't take notes, you know, there was no like way to, to learn other than that method. But as a Westerner and an American visiting, I knew language, I could take notes. So I did. And I also had access to technological devices that I felt would be very beneficial. This was 2000. So uh, sorry, 2004. So I had a mini disc recorder. Um, back in the day, if anyone is too young, those were things that you had to use to record. Um, but uh, I recorded his songs, his healing songs, so that I could play them after a ceremony and practice them. And I wrote down, I transcribed the, the lyrics and translated the lyrics so I could understand them. And, you know, so I, I was taking advantage of the technology I had access to, but also the, the like educational models that we had. And, and that to me, like, was definitely a boost in, in my own ability to study, and probably accelerated it for me. But there were many challenges that were much harder than just learning the songs, which was the paradigm that I was brought up in. And, and that can't really be you know, just taught because it literally is the way that we view the world. And so that took a lot more time for me to um, shift my own personal paradigm to one that could understand a lot of the concepts or the perspectives that were from the indigenous traditions. So what is it like um, to attend one of your um, healing ayahuasca retreats? And I also want to ask, and, and I'll remind you, what is it like to experience ayahuasca? What does one feel? 
Yeah, that one's going to be a little okay. bit tricky, but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, but to, to, to go to the first one, what is it like to do a retreat? Um, right. We have one of our, like, what will be one of our signature retreats. I'm introducing it this year to replace both our eight-day retreat and, and two-week retreat. Um, but we'll be doing a 10-day retreat that will start in July. And, and next year, that will replace both the eight-day and the two-week retreat. So to do the 10-day retreat as an example, um, the retreat really starts when you click the register button, to be totally honest, because that's when you make the commitment. And once you make the commitment, you set in motion a large connection of changes, some physiological, mostly mental and emotional, um, about preparing. You know, when you make a commitment to do healing, automatically you focus on what you need to heal more than you might normally do. And oftentimes people are like putting those things off until they make such a decision. I then start a chain of communications with each person. I personally set up a call with them where we have what I call a, a pre-retreat counseling session. And my intention for doing that is to make them feel as ready as possible. So I'm, I'm trying to optimize their consciousness so that they can have the greatest outcome when they're actually in the jungle. I'm answering all their questions about the transportation and the travel, but also doing my best to prepare them for the healing experience itself. When they finally get to the Amazon, then everyone meets up at a hotel. So not everyone flies in at the same time. Uh, we take a maximum of 12 people. So, you know, maybe six or seven different flights or something, get people there and they all collect at this hotel that I've been using for several years. And then we gather, meet with them, have our first meeting in Iquitos in town before heading out. That gives us a chance, you know, if there are people that think they might need something that they didn't bring or something because of the meeting um, to get it before we leave. Then we all leave on a bus. We head out to the edge of town where the road ends. We get off the bus and onto a boat. And then we head into the National Reserve where our center is located. It takes about two hours in total transportation to get out to the center. It's incredibly remote, very beautiful, beautiful location surrounded by 100,000 acres of untouched rainforest. Um, when we get there, there's a little bit of time to, you know, settle in. There's a meal that's served, uh, unpack a little bit, and then we have a first meeting to go over the ceremony. Um, and that is like to teach about the responsibility protocols, safety, you know, just answer everything. So again, people feel as ready as possible going into the ceremony and hopefully alleviate some of their anxiety. There's not much you can do about that when you're having your first ayahuasca experience, but um, that is our goal. And then people then attend their first ceremony. The next day, there's a consultation with the Corandero to go over their experience in the ceremony and to start a personalized treatment plan. We have a general treatment plan that everyone follows, but oftentimes people will have individual treatments that will be just for them added to that generalized plan. Then that generalized plan starts with vapor baths, which if you watched the Down to Earth, you saw Zac Efron receive a vapor bath. Um, and so that is like part of the process. There's also a detoxing of the digestive system or a cleansing uh, using a purgative called Sangre de Grado. And so 
the beginning part of the healing process you could call a cleansing or detox process. So you want to, you know, remove toxins that obviously might become obstacles or be obstacles to the plant treatments that would activate the healing more effectively. Those plants are then introduced as well. So you take three remedies every day orally. Um, one is to increase your circulation and oxygenation to the blood. And one is to open your sensitivity, which uses the plant that we know as the sensitive plant. Um, in Chipipo, it's called the Tanti Rao. And, um, and one is an anti-inflammatory whose prime ingredient is turmeric. Um, those are taken three times a day, every day. And the vapor baths start with doing them each day. And then they switch over to smoke baths, which you also saw very briefly in that um, documentary on Netflix and then end with plant baths. So you could look at it like you remove uh, what shouldn't be there, and then you protect the space with the smoke baths of what is empty, and then you put what should be there or what can help be there with the plant baths in the end. Now there are ceremonies every other day during that time, and there are sharing circles after each ceremony the next morning. We also incorporate um, yoga and meditation and massage and Ayurvedic counseling as part of those programs and sometimes um, holotropic breath work if it's a longer program. So that in a nutshell is pretty much how the retreat is set up. And, and so, so what what's it like to be on ayahuasca? And you just yes. give us a little hint, a little tip. I mean, it's kind of like saying, so what's sex like? Okay. Uh, I get it's it. Not, it's what's not so easy because it's having a baby like? I hear you. It's such a personal um, experience and it is such a personal relationship. But in general, it is an amplification of sensory perception. So you can see more than you normally could. You can see beyond the visible spectrum. You can hear beyond the audible spectrum. All of your senses can perceive beyond the normal limitations of your biology. And so all of that adds up to greater awareness. And, and then what you do with the greater awareness is really the magic of how the healing takes place. So you don't just get healed because you experience amplified sensory perception. But with sen amplified sensory perception, you can achieve the healing because when you're in an amplified sensory perceptive state, automatically you now lessen your feeling of your knowledge of the truth because you're more aware. And so everything that you thought you knew is now not so solid because you recognize, well, I am aware of more now than I was when I decided whatever that was. And so that's really helpful because it softens what are sometimes really solid truths, but yet solid detrimental truths. And now they're softer that you could change them and especially change them with a expansion of awareness, which would lend itself to a greater acceptance of this new truth, because you formed it in a greater awareness. Well, which one would you think would be the better uh, state to be in, in order to figure out the truth, the greater awareness. So there's real potential 
from that. And then, you know, what happened specifically could be so much, you know, but oftentimes there is an interaction with what could be called spirit, like with spirit, it could be your, your own ancestors, like people that you love that are passed on to the other side. It could be with elements of nature, like trees and plants. Um, and it could be, honestly, it could be from with beings from another planet, like any, so much can happen in those experiences. And, and a lot of that is on a level of reality that is very like difficult to distinguish from just waking reality. The power of the visions are so, so real. And, and honestly, like my take on it is that they are real. You're just not, not normally able to have those experiences simply because you don't have the sensory perceptive ability. Like if you saw a color that you could only see if you could see beyond the visible spectrum, that it doesn't mean that that color doesn't exist just because you can't see it when you're not in an amplified state of awareness. It just means that you don't have the capability. You have biological limitations. We all recognize that we have those biological limitations. And if we could amplify them, it would give us that greater awareness. And that's what ayahuasca does. Now, when you said when when folks come to the retreat center, you start off with, you know, kind of the intro. What happens after? So, I mean, they have all these awakenings and everything. Do you keep in touch with the folks that come down as a part of the retreats after they go home to their wherever they are in the world? Yes. Um, part of the retreat also, like I said, we have a pre-retreat counseling session with me and then a post-retreat counseling session with me where I listen to everyone's um, experiences and and I use my own intuition, I guess, um, to hear and then navigate what could be the best plan forward for them to continue to deepen that healing. And then after that, I make a recommendation if they want to continue with that counseling to two people that used to work for our organization that started Ayahuasca Now What, which is an ayahuasca integration counseling service. Awesome. That's so great. And so do people go back to their normal lives, just living a little, um, living a better life and a, a more knowing life? Well, um, you know, everyone does something unique to themselves. Some people build up their their trip to, to visit us to such a degree that they quit their jobs beforehand. Some like move out of their homes beforehand so that because they know so much that they want to make this transformation. And like I said, when they register, it sets in motion a, a, a transformation on a physiological, mental and emotional level that they start behaving differently. And so, you know, that's really ideal, I would say. Um, most of the time, if not all the time, people's well-being is that is hurt by their environment. Like people don't just get sick for no reason. There is a cause and almost always that cause comes from their environment. That could be through their relationships with the people that they're close with, through their job, through toxins in their diet or their lifestyle. Like all of that are the contributing factors of why people get sick. And so I just use this as an example. Like if you had a fish tank and your fish got sick, you would take it out of that fish tank probably and 
and put it in like healthy, good water, clean environment, and it would probably get better. And then you don't want to put it back mm. in that fish tank, not unless you've made some significant changes to the to, to that environment, because clearly the environment made your fish sick. And so, you know, removing it from that environment and allowing it to recuperate, which is kind of like what happens, you know, everyone flies down to the Amazon rainforest, they leave their entire life behind that entire environment, even to the point where they, they can't really communicate that well. You know, we don't really have great signals. So it's not like people are sending texts or, or calling people to stay connected. They really disconnect from their environment completely. Like we take their, we take that fish out of the fish tank and we put it in the, the most perfect, optimal, healthy environment it can be in. And then when, when it's time to leave, I don't think it would be a great idea to just go back to the same dirty, toxic fish tank. Um, but everyone navigates that on their own. You know, I, I would say that regardless, everyone does their best to make appropriate changes so that their environment does work better for them. And sometimes that means that they stop being friends with people that were not influencing them positively, start making friends with people that are influencing them positively. And they do start to do the hard work, which is to repair the dynamics of the relationships that were infected by the problems that they had in their in their past. Um, once you like stop that infection, uh, as I'm calling it, like the trauma, which is more specific to what I mean by that, then you can start the, the, the long process of repairing the dynamics of that relationship. And that is a very big challenge. The easy part is really the healing that we provide. The tough part is everyone's personal journey to repair the dynamics of the relationships with the people they love. And do all that work once they get home, right? And that's what I wanted to talk to you about next, because I really feel that, you know, with you know, I've not had an opportunity to to try ayahuasca personally, but but I know that there have been some shaman that have come to my hometown or my home state, and I'm um, just the thought for me was out of respect for the plant and out of the traditions that I felt that I would have to remove myself from my current environment and be somewhere else. And so, I guess my question for you is, how do you feel? when kind of this Western society is potentially utilizing this plant in maybe a different way where people can don't have 10 days of all of the, the preparation and, and the work and really just have an opportunity to maybe go on a, you know, a quick weekend retreat somewhere close by. And, and it might be, you know, folks that are into yoga and think that they know breath work and are not necessarily even aware of all the impact of what um, this medicine can provide. And I know that there's a lot of discussion of this in the plant medicine space. And I'd love to just get your take on that. Well, I mean, to sum it all up, you just do the best you can. Um, every one of us can only do the best that we can. And, and like you said, like some, not everybody can just fly off to the Amazon rainforest for a couple of weeks. Um, that takes a lot. And it's simply just a not a, a possibility for a number of reasons. And, and so you do the best that you can. I would say that if I were to speak generally about it, you, if you did go to the Amazon for two weeks, you have a really good shot at not needing to do that type of work again. You know, like you could make a significant transformation through that and then from there you're you're kind of doing maintenance you know you've you've changed the trajectory of your life uh 
And now it's up to you to walk that new path in the new direction. And but it's really the 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 like changing course that is, I think, the the toughest part. Almost we feel like we're on uh, train tracks, you know, like where we can't actually change the direction. We can see clearly like where we're headed, and we just can't like figure out how to go in a different direction. So to have that transformational experience is really powerful and important. And then the walking down the path in a new direction is now yours to follow. Whereas if you were to just do, you know, like a weekend and where you're going, you know, you're driving a couple hours and and then coming back home on Monday to go to work again, chances are you're not going to have the same level of transformation. And so, but that doesn't mean that you can't change the direction. It just means that probably you'll go back the next month or, you know, at some point you'll go back and you'll go back again and you'll go back again. And you're like inching yourself kind of more in, in slower increments because you're probably taking like three steps forward, two steps back, you know, each time. But you do the best you can, you know, and, and you know, you have the right intention and you, you have the determination then you can definitely get it get there as well. Um, I, I use this as a perfect example because we're seeing a globalization of ayahuasca and psychedelics in general or ancestral traditions, perhaps plant medicine traditions. But we already have kind of a blueprint or an example of that globalization in yoga. And, and so like if you go to India and you do a one month long yoga retreat and then compare that to taking yoga classes every Tuesday and Thursday down the street, you know, it's going to be pretty obvious that one of them will probably lend itself to a much more powerful transformation. But does that mean that you shouldn't do the yoga classes on Tuesday and Thursday? No, they're going to benefit you. It's just not going to be some crazy transformation. But little by little, you will definitely see a change for the better. And so you know, that I guess is my take on it. Um, you know, one is kind of diving deep and, and, and trying to do as much as you can in a small amount of time. And the other one is making step-by-step progression, but both of them are beneficial. So I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm in favor of whatever it, whatever you can do. So Carlos, I just have to say, you know, when you say people give up their job and they sell their home and and for me, my chest tightens a little. I'm like, but you know, I, I like my job and I like my home and I, I like my life, <clears throat> I, but I do want to evolve and I do want to um, get to that higher place. Um, so how do you counsel someone and say, you know, your path will be what it's going to be. You're not going to uproot everything. Um are you afraid to try it that you might sell your house, Elizabeth? Are you worried that she might move to the Amazon? Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, everyone has their own story, you know, and, and everyone is, is making their own interpretations about their environment. I think it's awesome that you love your job. I mean, I, we w- everyone would love to be able to say, that they love their job or that they love their life. It wasn't always the case. Right. Right. But there are definitely people that know that they do not love their job. In Mm -hmm. fact, they know every morning when they wake up and have to go to their job that they dread it. And And they start to ask themselves, why am I doing this? 
you know, my, my life is however many years it's going to be, and I'm going to spend one third of it doing something I dread, you know, and just like when someone decides they feel that way about a relationship that they're in or something of that nature, like, and, and oftentimes they feel like they're on that trajectory where they can't figure out how to change their course and they feel kind of locked in on the tracks. And so they click a button, you know, that, that allows them to empower themselves, you know, to believe that transformation is possible. And that shift in their consciousness starts to play out in the ways that it needs to. And, and the healing work that starts is secondary. The, the healing work, sorry, the healing work that we do is secondary to the healing work that starts when, when someone actually makes the commitment to, to have a transformation in their life. Now, a transformation doesn't necessarily mean that your entire life is going to be different. For me, it did. <laughs> For me, it did. And for, for several people, like for a, a good percentage of people, it does. But for some people, it's really about cleaning things up a bit. You know, it's really about having your relationships that are that you're already happy with be more fulfilling or being able to be a better mother or a better partner or a better sibling or a better person, you know. And I think that you know, barring some pretty incredible people out there, we could all improve those aspects, those Absolutely. dynamics, you know. And and so oftentimes a program just is doing that for us where it's enriching our lives, um, but not necessarily making it so that we go in a completely different trajectory. Thank you for that. <laughs> so I wanted to ask to... Um, we're all stewards of the planet. And what is the best way that we as Westerners, maybe I should start with that group, be more respectful of plant medicine or this plant medicine in particular? Right. Um, I mean, my I always go back to nature. Nature to me is the true teacher. It is the true being. Like I literally and I think quite accurately, look at myself in the same way that I feel I have a collection of trillions of cells in my body. I feel I am like a cell out of trillions, if not quadrillions or whatever number goes higher than that, in the body of earth. And and nature to me um, is a, to, how I think of nature is the consciousness of the earth. It is the, the, the intelligence, the, this magical intelligence of the living being of the earth that I am a part of and that will take care of me and that will always guide me and message me towards the appropriate path and behavior the same way that my body and my consciousness and intelligence guides my own cellular behavior and cellular activity as long as I pay attention. And so to me, it's not very complicated. It really does come down to paying attention. And, and what happens, I feel, when you pay attention to nature is that there is an unavoidable fascination. Because if you think about a seed and how you put it in soil and you give it water and it gets sunlight 
and that seed grows into this plant that produces delicious fruit for you to eat or grows into some incredible tree that grows 300 feet tall, all from this tiny little seed. It's kind of magical. And we too grew from tiny little seeds and everything grows from these tiny little seeds. And all of this transformation is always happening all around us. And we're so familiar with it but yet we don't really give it the attention that we should because it would automatically foster a fascination and a gratitude for our own lives and for the lives that we of this earth that we are a part of. And, and to me, that puts us in an optimal consciousness. That puts us in an optimal mindset to tackle whatever challenges that we have, to overcome whatever obstacles we face, you know, to, to live our lives to the fullest because we know that we're part of something that is truly magical, truly unbelievable, magnificent, and that is us as well. And, and so for me, that, that is what it, all, all we need. You know, that it, it's not that complicated. And so when it comes to plant medicine, that, that is what plant medicine is. Have, have we done a disservice to ourselves when we built these cities that where there is no grass, where we call it a concrete jungle, where we don't have access to nature. Um, is that, you know, have we've harmed ourselves maybe is what you're saying in this way, if we don't have access to nature. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I gave a, a metaphor of having a fish in a toxic fish tank. Yes, you did. <laughs> well, if um, people are getting sick, which it seems to be pretty common that people, especially in the U.S., are sick or not healthy, um, you know, what environmental factors, influences are causing that. So... You know, it's only a, a, of detriment to ourself, I feel, that we're, we're doing that. Um, to me, the, the earth is so profoundly wise, you know, so I, I, I like to be optimistic and, and I do feel that we are coming around to a new perspective, a new paradigm, or rather a return to an ancestral paradigm that understands the earth for what it is and, and for how powerful it is and understands the importance of nature and our role in it, uh, thankfully. But I also feel like it's all part of a grand plan. And so, you know, I, I, I have so much trust in the earth and, it, and her intelligence that it, it would be kind of silly, I feel, for me to think that I might know better, you know, like my cell, one single cell in my body might know better than me. Um, and so I feel like there's kind of two parts, like one, we, we, we've got to make a change, but two, I kind of feel like the earth knew what it was doing by letting us do what we've done. And part of that makes me wonder if it's part of the earth's own reproductive system. Mm. You know, we were just talking about seeds and, and, and how magical it is that we're born, but in nature, there's some really fascinating seed production. You know, um, the dandelion is an easy one where it produces all these little parachutes that the wind like blows all over the place. And um, ayahuasca vine actually produces a uh, 
helicopter blade seed. So when it disconnects, it flies, you know, down to a different part of the, the forest floor and all the different crazy combinations of fruits and stuff to entice birds to eat them so that they'll deposit their seeds, you know, with the fertilizer right there for it. And, you know, the, the reproductive system of nature is always like very intelligent and complex and, and remarkable. So what's the, what's the reproductive system of the earth? And is it to like create technology that could send us to another planet and bring life to another planet? I, I don't know, but we happen to be kind of involved in that right now. And then if that is like, if, if our uh, development is basically likened to like the pregnancy of earth, right? you know, the population increases like this new cells of the earth, like increasing as this swelling of, of, of a pregnant being, you know, happens, then are we now like in the labor pains of the earth giving birth to something marvelous that we just don't understand? And, and is that going to like bring life to a new planet or something of that nature. I'm, I'm hopeful that that is the case, but regardless, um, if that is the case, then we will need to then restore the, the earth back to the way that it was pre-pregnancy, the same way that we witnessed it happen with the mothers uh, of our species. So that got pretty far out. There, no, I, I love it. it. Oh no. So well said. <laughs> Well, keep in speaking about nature and how and getting your thoughts on how the role of nature and in the indigenous traditions surrounding these plant medicines can they en enhance the effectiveness of the medicines in any way, or how do you feel that these traditions are beneficial? Yeah, that to me is the most important part. That's why I feel the need to like speak um, to a wider audience because I do feel like I'm in an incredible position being a Westerner coming from the Western paradigm, um, but having spent so much time to understand the indigenous paradigm or the ancestral paradigm, the tradition to me is incredibly important. And in going back to the seeds again, every one of us knows that you don't just grow a tomato plant from the seed. Yes, it grows from the seed, but you have to plant it in fertile soil. And the fertility and the nourishment of that soil is more important than the seed and how much water it gets and the quality of that water and how much sunlight it gets and the quality of that sunlight. All of those environmental factors that surround the seed, that nourish the seed, are actually far more important than the seed itself. Now, yes, you cannot grow a tomato plant without the seed, but you also cannot grow a healthy tomato without all of those other factors at play. Right now, I feel like the current modern medicine system has forgotten mm -hmm. that you need the fertile soil and you need to water the seed and you need it to have sunlight. And so we're so heavily focused on only the seed that you just take the pill and you don't do anything else. And that is, to me, why we are not successful with treating chronic illness and why so many people are so unhealthy. We have to have a paradigm shift that goes back to the ancestral tradition, back to the ancestral understanding. And the tradition is this highly, highly developed ideology and methodology that surrounds and nourishes the medicine. So the reason you take ayahuasca in a ceremony is because the ceremony enhances the effect of the medicine. 
And the whole plant medicine tradition is this complex ideology, but that we already respect, we already acknowledge, some of which I was just talking about. You always will trust plants over chemicals, in my opinion. You know, people will always go towards trusting nature over man-made substances. And so there's already inherent in the plant medicine tradition an increase in trust and an increase in respect. I doubt that people feel the same reverence that they feel when they're looking at a sunset when they open their pill bottle. And, and worse, so many people hate their pills that they're taking. They hate their medication that they hope will heal them. That is a bizarre combination, you know, where you actually hate the thing that you want to make you feel better. And, and, but medicine from nature doesn't do that. You love the fact that this thing grew out of the ground for you. You know, it's, it, it brings so many pieces together. And that's just on an ideological level, the methodology level too, the active intention, the active focus, all of these important consciousness enhancement processes that are developed within the tradition are lacking in modern medicine. And that to me is the most important part, especially with this new emerging field of psychedelic therapy happening. If, if we keep the current paradigm, which is very substance focused and, and very little focus on behavior, then I don't think that replacing one pharmaceutical with a psychedelic pharmaceutical will make the difference. It's not about having a new medicine in the same system. It's really about replacing a faulty system or a flawed system with one that actually achieves its goal, which should be our healing and not profits for companies. So well said. So before embarking on a healing journey with ayahuasca, is there, uh, and maybe you've already covered this, you know, something you have to be mentally and physically prepared. But um, the more I learn about it, I have to say the more I have trepidation, like I do really have to research this and understand it and be ready. And, um, and you've just solidified that. Um, is there anything else that you would um, add to that? You know, it's a very complex topic, but, but hopefully I can sum it up. And I appreciate the question. Um, let me ask you this. How much research did you do before you fell in love? <laughs> and how much research would have prepared you for being in love? You're right. Because none. <laughs> th there's, there's nothing you can do, you know? And so you could read 50 books on relationships, but I don't really know if that's going to make much of a difference. Okay, and so you're because telling me we can just go for it. <laughs> yes. That's All right. What, I, honest, you're giving me the green light. Well, and you yeah, can't believe I, everything you Google. I mean, there's so much stuff out there that really puts a lot of fear around ayahuasca. I mean, oh, it's going to make you so sick. You're going to be in some sweat lodge. There's a lot of conversations about who you're going to trust, the shamans that you're going to have, you know, females that have been raped when they've been in ceremony and things. I mean, there's a lot of scary things that we've heard about it. I just appreciate having you come, Carlos, and spend this time with us to really dive in and talk about 
all of the goodness that's around this. Because when you know, when you just Google something and you don't know what source you're getting, there's a lot of misinformation and uh, just floating around that I think a lot of people may be reading. And so I, I really feel that that we, I mean, we've talked about Elizabeth, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what does it feel like? You know, the purge, everyone's so afraid of, you know, how sick they're going to feel. Um, and we've talked so much about the positive, but I think you might be inching at some of the, you know, the other things that we have heard about this, this plant medicine, whether it's true or not, but that's certainly being running rampant um, uh, in, you know, on Clubhouse and in various other communities about, you know, what is this and is it safe and, and should I embark on it? Well, I mean, I honestly feel like the relationship uh, metaphor or reference works very well with everything that you just said. You know, like all of those things are also considerations that we take when we're going to embark on a relationship and we feel trepidation, you know, And, and so but in the end, all we can do is really trust our hearts and our guts and our minds. And we try to put all the pieces together the best that we can. But when you fall in love with someone, do you think that they might hurt you? It's a possibility, you know. Have you read stories about abusive relationships? Of course, you know, and we all know it. But yet we still are willing to take our chances because we trust our hearts, our minds, and our guts. And, and that's really all you can do. There's no, there's no proof There's no guarantee when you enter into a relationship that it's all going to work out and be marvelous. There's a real possibility that you're going to go through a bunch of tough times and terrible shit. And the, the benefit is that we've all kind of been there if we're old enough and we can look back and see all the lessons. Mm -hmm. And even when we were in a tough uh, relationship, we learned so much from it and, and even that, you know, happens with ayahuasca, maybe especially because there are almost a guarantee that there will be tough times in the ayahuasca healing process. But it's those lessons that we learn from them that are more important than the, the moments themselves, because the lessons last a lot longer than the moments. So, I, I mean, I think that the relationship is a great way to understand it, um, simply because you, you just can't research relationships and ever get to a point if anything it might confuse you right so it's really just a heart mind gut process and you just have to trust that and that to me is the nature part you know when i was talking about like trusting in nature and and being a role like animals are connected so well to nature that they have what we call instincts if they get sick which happens they know what to do because they have their instincts intact. And their instincts to me are really just that connection to nature. Nature, the wisdom of nature speaks to them and they respond, they recognize, they trust. We lack our instincts. Our instincts are, are like uh, lacking. And if we develop them more, which I think can happen through a, a devoted attention to nature, then we would be able to trust our heart and our minds and our guts more. More so our hearts and our guts. Those are the parts that we don't give as much attention to that we should. Those are organs. We have organs just like our brain, and they have tremendous intelligence and power to guide us. And we deserve to give them the attention that they deserve. 
Thank you so much, Carlos. It's just been such an honor to have you here and speak with us. And I want to make sure that all of our listeners, if you haven't seen the Netflix series Down to Earth with Zac Efron, make sure that you watch the episode when he visits Iquitos because he does visit um, the Ayahuasca Foundation and you get to see Carlos in the episode. And I think that that was uh, you know, really wonderful for me because I got to see how gorgeous it was. Like when you're explaining getting on the boat and going deep into the Amazon, I mean, it is very remote and so beautiful and so immersive by, you know, nothing but nature. But how did it feel having Hollywood come to this space in the middle of nowhere? I mean, what, did you feel that that experience gave an authentic representation of, of you know, the center and what happens there? Or, or what was that like just having, you know, Hollywood come down into this peaceful, tra- tranquil place? Well, f- I mean, first, just a huge shout out to Darren Olean. That was really his show, even though Zac Efron put his name on it for obvious reasons to get more people to view it. But it was really Darren Olean's show. And, um, and, and you know, just thanks so much to both Darren and Zac for both being incredible people. Um, and, and to have Netflix come and, and shed some light on it was awesome. Totally awesome. You know, I think it was a total of six minutes that were on there. So, you know, a six minute segment to talk about something, you know, like a 10,000 year old ancestral tradition, it's <laughs> going to be a little bit tricky. I think, though, that we did a good job of, you know, trying to get information out there. They filmed over an hour of footage with the Corandero, and I think he shows up for like two seconds. So I, I kind of was a bit depressed about that, but I, I understand it. All of those scenes had to be translated. And if it had to be reduced to six minutes, it would have been like half as much just because there would have been the need for translation because there wasn't English. So, um, but, you know, I'm so thankful for, for that. And, and I've got, I've stay in touch with Darren. It would be nice to stay in touch with Zach. Zach, hit me up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but they're doing season two of oh, that great. show. So there's actually going to be season two of Down to Earth coming out on Netflix. I, I'm not sure, probably next year. Yeah, I, I was just great to, to physically be able to see your space and how gorgeous it is. So again, if you want to, you know, see for yourself how gorgeous it is, there's six minutes. We'll we'll make sure we put in the blog post exactly where to fast forward to so you can get to those minutes in the episode. But it is a, a beautiful um, uh, show that really is, you know, exploring like some really beautiful places. But um, I'm so glad that, you know, it did touch on you know, plant medicines and the beauty of nature. And I think that you did an excellent job on there. And I just appreciate you coming on with us today and really just diving in with us about what it's like from your experience, because it's not very often that we're going to have a Westerner that has lived in Peru and actually dedicated his entire life to this for so many years. Um, this isn't some fad. This is something you've literally dedicated your life to. And it just, it, the work that you're doing is healing so many people and we're just so grateful for you and just appreciate you so much and want to make sure that all of our listeners know how they can find you, how they can learn more about your retreats and your workshops. And so if you can just give us a little bit of insight so that everyone knows how they can connect with you. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me as a guest on your show. Yeah. If you go to ayahuascafoundation.org, you'll, find our website, see our programs that we offer, and all of our social media platforms are accessible through that. And if you contact us through the contact us form on the website, that just goes straight to me. So if anyone has questions or concerns, they can just ask me directly and I'll do my best to address them. Fantastic. Thank you again, Carlos, so much. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of The Vine. 
featuring Carlos Tanner, Foundation of the Ayahuasca Foundation. We appreciate your support of The Vine, a plant media project podcast. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. For cannabis and psychedelic news, please visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Thank you.